Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. First Thessalonians 3, uh, we're going to read verse 11 through 13. We're wrapping up chapter number 3 today. So just follow along with me there as I read aloud. The Bible says, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. I wanna preach on this topic this morning, the apostles' prayer, the apostles' prayer. Let's pray one last time. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come to your word this, this morning to study, to grow in Christ-likeness. And I pray that you'd give me exactly the words that you would have me to say. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead me and guide me. And I pray that you'd be glorified through everything that's said and done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So over the last several weeks, we've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. And um, as you look at the epistles of Paul that he wrote, he wrote over half of our New Testament, you can see a pattern in the way he writes. He often starts his, his letters with a theological or a pastoral type greeting. And then halfway through, he makes a transition into very practical or Christian living. And another way to put it is like this. Often Paul begins with orthodoxy, which is right doctrine. And then he shifts to orthopraxy, which is right living. Okay. So when we get to chapter number four, which I assume will be next week, you're going to see this shift happen. Paul goes from his his doctrinal pastoral plea to the Thessalonians in chapter one, two, and three. And then in chapter four, he shifts into, okay, you heard all this, let's put it into practice. So a little sneak peek for what's ahead. Verse 11 is the beginning of his prayer, his prayer that he closes this first half of the letter with. And it really echoes his heart as we see earlier in 1 Thessalonians as well. In 1 Thessalonians 2, we studied it a couple of weeks ago, in verse 17 and 18, Paul says, but we brethren being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul really wanted to come see the Thessalonians. It was the deepest desire of his heart. As we learned last week, he desired to see them so bad when he realized he wouldn't be able to he sent Timothy to them so he could get a report of how things were going. Now, verse 11, as I mentioned, it's the opening of Paul's prayer. We see that he's praying that God would direct their way to them. And those, those words there, direct our way into you, you probably preach a whole sermon on just those words. The word translated direct means to make straightforward and simple, having no deviations. Because of 1 Thessalonians 2.18 and the hindrance of Satan, Paul is praying that God would intervene, that there would be divine intervention so that they could make their way to the Thessalonians. He's praying that God would clear the way so that they would come to the Thessalonians with no hindrances. But his prayer does not end there. And I really want to look at the last two verses here of this prayer as, he, uh, as we learn what Paul is praying for. He, As always he seems to do in his epistles, Paul asks God to do a great work in the church to whom he is writing. And here's his prayer. His prayer is essentially this, God, make this church abound in love. Make this church abound in love. 
of all the things that this persecuted church would have been in need of, be it safety or grace or strength or divine help, Paul prays that their love would increase and abound. My question for us this morning is this, is it our prayer that we as a church would abound in love? Are we actively, intentionally abounding in the love of God? Or have other loves captured our attention? So there's a twofold request here that I believe will help us as we seek to love and live for God. Number one, he asks, abound in love. Verse 12, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. To increase here, it means to become bigger or greater in amount. And to abound is to exist in large quantities. It's like the idea of filling a cup with water. When you fill the cup to the top, you are increasing the water. But when you fill it to overflowing, you're making the water abound. It's a super abundance. It's being filled to overflowing. He's essentially saying, don't just say you love, love on the next level. Kick it up a notch. Super abound in love. And there's two ways that this love was to be directed. First, he says one toward another and toward all men. Abound in love one toward another. Your love should be overflowing for your brothers and sisters. Not held back because someone believes a little differently than you do or has preferences that might be different than yours or is gifted more or less than you. No matter what the case may be, your love for your brothers and sisters should be abounding. And this is exactly the standard Jesus left for his disciples. In John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye are in agreement on everything. No. If you all dress the same. No. If you have the same politics. No. If you love one another. John wrote about Christian love in multiple places in 1 John. 1 John 3.11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 4.7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 1 John 4.11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. 1 John 4, 21, and this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. Paul told the Romans in Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love. We know according to Galatians 5 that the fruit of the spirit is love. Paul even told the Corinthian church, there's a great danger in doing ministry, but doing it without love. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. A church, a Christian that has all the gifting, all the faith, all the generosity, but lacks love is nothing. Christian love is the believer's only right response to one another because of the sacrificial love of God for us in Christ Jesus. 
Paul told the Ephesians, be therefore followers of God as your children and walk in love. Why? As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. My question is, are you super abounding in love one toward another? Is there someone here this morning right now that you need to get things right with and return to demonstrating love to them? Do you have grudges in your heart toward anyone? Do we as a church love one another? And can we honestly say that we are abounding in love one for another? He says, you need to, I'm praying that you'll increase and abound in love one toward another. And then he says, also that you would abound in love toward all men. This superabounding love that Paul is praying for was to be theirs and it was to be so great that it couldn't help but spill out of their midst and onto the whole world around them. It's not to be limited to people that are like them or share their faith and purposes. They were to love all people. And this is the very essence of the Christian experience. Love God, love people. Matthew 22, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friend, no one is outside of the reach of the love of God. And because of that, they should not be outside of the bounds of the love of the church. No one in this world should walk away from an interaction with the, with the church of the living God and say, if that's what God's love looks like, I don't want anything to do with that. To paraphrase what Alistair Begg said, he said, because of the scripture, we cannot affirm people's sin, but we cannot hate people because of their sin. And I'm afraid that we get way too close to that. Well, that we don't agree with someone out there in the world. So we don't love them. We have to oppose them. The greatest way to impact someone that doesn't know Christ, short of leading them to the Savior, is not to impress them with our theology or our preferences or, or truthfully anything else. The greatest way to impact them is to love them and to share the good news of the gospel with them. But this command to abound in love to all men, it reaches even further. Oh, you talk about loving these people we don't agree with? It goes beyond that even? Yeah, sure does. Uh, consider the, the Thessalonian believers. First Thessalonians 1 says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. This church faced much affliction or oppression or persecution. And if you fast forward and look in 2 Thessalonians, it never ends. They continue to face persecution. They continue to face tribulation. So this abounding love, this, this prayer of Paul was to be applied to even those people that directly opposed them. Those that were actually out to physically harm them. Christian love is not to be partial to unbelievers that are kind to us. It is to extend to those that may even be considered our enemies. Jesus said, you have heard that it's been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Our love must not stop at the people that may hate us. It must abound even to them. And we are blessed beyond all measure to live in this country. 
where we don't have to worry about being necessarily attacked for our faith quite yet. We must love people that may even be our enemies. My question is, do you love the people outside of this congregation? Those that may be hostile to Christ and the gospel. Maybe to put a finer point on it, do you love those that don't agree with you politically? That are actually the complete opposite of what you may believe. Do you love people that live a lifestyle that is in clear disregard of the commands of the scripture? You know, we live in a world that assumes that loving someone means accepting everything that they do. Paul never says, Lord, make them accept everyone. No, he says, love them. Because true love will not accept someone living in their sin. They'll desire to rescue them from that. Do you love people that may even hate you? Now, this this sounds impossible. (laughs) Remember, this is Paul's prayer that the Lord would make their love superabound one toward another and toward all men. Because you and I, we don't have it within us, within our human nature to love all people. You will run into somebody at some point that you'll have to be like, "Mm, can't do it there. That's Seth. I just don't know about that guy. You know what I'm saying? I love you, Seth, man. Love you. But uh, it's not within us, in our human nature to love all men. But this is the work of the Lord in us. It is by God's work in our lives and as he grows us in sanctification that we can come to a place where we love the most unlovely people inside and outside the church. Paul prays that they would abound in love, but he continues and he states the purpose. He says that they would be found blameless in holiness. Verse 13 begins with the words to the end. It teaches us that what we're about to read is the very purpose for abounding in love. First, it says, to the end, he may establish your hearts. It's for the purpose of the Lord, establishing their heart. To establish, it means to strengthen or to make firm. So abounding in love is God's way of strengthening our hearts. And then second, he continues, he says, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. To be unblameable, it's to be without guilt and without blame. Holiness is being set apart to God. And Paul prayed that they would be found unblameable in holiness, without guilt, set apart to God. When? Look at the rest of the verse. Before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. There is coming a day when we all will stand before God. Christ will return with his saints and we will stand before the Father for the final judgment. And Paul is teaching these believers that they will be found blameless and set apart to God on the last day in direct connection to their hearts being established by their abounding love. In other words, he's saying, brothers and sisters, abound in love and God will strengthen your heart in blameless holiness for the coming day of the Lord. The ultimate purpose of abounding in love is that on the last day, we will be found to be blamelessly set apart to God. Now, this is not to say, which it could be manipulated to say, it is not to say that our standing before God is based upon our love. Our standing for God is based solely upon Jesus Christ and his finished work upon the cross and the empty tomb and the redemption that we have in him. These things, I believe, are connected because lovelessness is the complete opposite 
of being set apart to God. The Bible says this, 1 John 4, 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. 1 John 4, 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. The scripture makes it clear. Those that love God and others are those that are truly set apart to God. Paul seems to be indicating that on the last day, we'll be found to be blameless and set apart to God in connection to how our love has abounded for our brothers and sisters and the people outside of the church. So if today was the last day we had on this earth and we stood before God, would you be found to be blameless in holiness before God? Does the love that we have for one another and all men point to our hearts being established in blameless holiness? Now listen, Paul isn't issuing a threat here. This is not a threat. He isn't holding their love over their head and saying, guys, you better love people or else on the last day, you're gonna be the biggest disappointment of them all. No, he prayed in verse 12 that the Lord would make them to abound in love. And he continues the prayer in verse 13 by saying that he or the Lord may establish their hearts. This is the work of Christ on their behalf. So if you're discouraged thinking, I can't love that person, take heart. You will have to do the hard work of loving and it is hard work, but this is the work of God in your heart. It's not something you have to fake it till you make it. It is something that God produces in you. If you abound in love toward people, it's not because you're some sort of a rock star. It's because God is increasing love in you. If you stand before God blameless in holiness, it's not because you had it in you this whole time. It's because God did a work in you. Paul told the Philippians, he said, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Hey, Philippian, get to work. But it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Friend, love people and rest in Jesus. He is working in you. And on the last day, he will present you blameless in holiness. Michael Martin said this. He said, be true to the scriptures. To be true to the scriptures, today's believers must demonstrate by their actions that loveless Christianity is an oxymoron, that a gospel lacking love is a heresy, and that true Christian maturity is measured by the character of one's love, not the complexity of one's theology. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves today is our Christianity nothing more than an oxymoron? Or is it true to the gospel? Brothers and sisters, pray that God would make you to abound in love toward one another and toward all men. If you have something between you and someone else, get it right. Take care of it. If you hesitate to love someone because they don't believe like you do or because they're a sinner or whatever else the case may be, please remember something, that you too are a sinner and that you had offended God and yet he still loved you. Repent, ask God to increase his love in your heart. Because one day, and I don't think we think about this enough, we will stand before God. It's inevitable, it's coming. We will stand before our heavenly father. 
And may our prayer be as that of the Apostle Paul, that we would be found to be blameless in holiness because of the work of God in our hearts. The Apostle's prayer, abound in love, that you may be found blameless in holiness. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com.